Welcome to Encounter. This is a podcast and radio show where we seek to encounter Christ, culture, and community. In this week's episode, Joe Cole and I work through the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. This is such a rich, deep section of scripture, Jesus' sermon, that we get to read through and work through and and chew on truths that he gives us in this passage. And what we want to do is put it in the context of the audience, put it in the context of the book of Matthew, put it in context of the New Testament, then the Old Testament, and then all of scripture. So what is Jesus saying? Why is he saying it? Who is he communicating to? And then from there, truly try to understand what is God communicating in the Sermon on the Mount? And as we do so, we pray that you join us on this journey. And again, we say this in the podcast, but please know that we are not doing verse-by-verse expository teaching through three chapters of Scripture. This could be a 30-sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. Instead, we are spending about an hour and 10 minutes putting it into context so that you can, in your own personal Bible study, grow closer to God through your study of the Word. So think of this as a tool rather than a replacement for anything else the Bible calls you to do, which is read, study, and see yourself approved through the Word of God. Stand strong on the Word of God and rest securely in your salvation with Jesus Christ. So even before you listen to this, if you just want to hit pause and go and read the Sermon on the Mount so that you have it in the back of your brain and then you start there with the foundation of the Word of God and then you uh, push play again and then let us talk about how it fits into the overall story of the Bible and how it points to Christ. And in that, we pray that you grow closer to the Savior that you've committed your life to. All right, so we are post, well, people are listening to this and maybe a little bit away from this date, but we all went to different church services uh, for uh, Christmas Eve, and I want to know the highlight of anyone that you saw. So I specifically um, saw, went to two and watched one online. Um, Joe, what was your highlight of all, of any of them? Um... One I was with you at, uh, the highlight for me was the sermon from the pastor from FAC. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just thought it was profound and a new way to look at Luke 2, which pretty much every church was in Luke 2. So uh, it's a new way to look at Luke 2. Um from the perspective that we're at war with God mm. and when the heavenly hosts come up and the shepherds are afraid and, and what that means. And I thought it was, I thought it was great and profound in a new way to like tell the same story, but in a new light, mm-hmm. um, which is refreshing because uh, you know, it gets stale. It gets stale. Yeah. And you're like, which is the whole point is to not, is to make it not stale and, and new every year and yeah. remember the reason. Yeah. I would, I would say um, for me, some I think Cole needs more time. Oh, no, more time. All right, go ahead, Cole. Yeah, um, cool. I was gonna buy you time. Mine is is less about uh, like what was said, or or a particular scripture that was done. Uh, the church I went to, they had I, the part I liked was that they had everybody involved. I mean, not every single person, mm-hmm. but like the entire children's uh, ministry came up and did some songs and stuff, and people got up and said different scriptures and said 
different, like, uh, I guess it would be spoken word about, oh. like, uh, they focused on the advent, so the, the aspects of Christ, uh, joy, peace, love, and there's a fourth one that I'm forgetting. Uh, Overeating. Overeating, is that what it is? It's Christmas. Got it. Um, and it, it was just great to see the church kind of all be involved and be part of a whole service. Mm-hmm. Know, really That's cool. cool. That's cool. Uh, mine uh, was from actually the one that I watched. So I went to one one church in this, and and they had a second service where there wasn't child care provided. They did something different. That service was kind of cool, where like the pastor read uh, Luke two to the kids that were there. So instead of having the kids go somewhere else, it was like story time with Pastor Jeff, and they all kind of sat around him and he read Luke two, and it was like a, but it was like the the kids version of it with pictures and it was like gotcha, getting all yeah. into it with the kids. So it was a, kind of the same thing you're saying, instead of like separating and saying kids go there, mm-hmm. it was like uh, all the kids come up here, your parents are there, let's mm-hmm. re- read through the story together. And that was part of the the service. Huh. So it was cool. cool. That's uh, unique. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that was a, a cool way to, the same story. And it wasn't like a, twi- like any, any kind of innovative way to portray the message. It, it was, it's Luke too, you know, it's the story of Christ, but uh, it was a way like a unconventional method to mm-hmm. deliver it, if that makes sense. So we are uh, in transition to the year 2024, which is weird. I had to write that a few times the other day, and <laughs> it looks a lot better than the year 2023 on paper. I don't know if you ever had to right. write 20, like 23 a lot, which I have to write on all these like, referrals for my job for the, all the kids. I the spend. number looks better? The number I, looks better. It's like a whole number. It sounds weird, but I don't like writing the number four. I don't know why. Really? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's the way I write them. I don't know. I was going to say, maybe it's the way you you write threes. Nothing to be, it's just an ugly looking number to me. Okay. In general, like it's just 23. It's ugly. Can't yeah. be divided by anything. Is I it, mean, it's is Jordan. It prime number? Yeah. No. Is it? Eight. 23? 23? <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah, it is a prime number. Yeah. Uh, for a second, when I was guessing, uh, when I was... Uh, the look in your eye while you're doing the math ferociously yeah. was awesome. When I was challenging you, I was thinking 2023 20, is a prime number. I was like, how does he know the prime number? Oh, no, all no, no. 20, but then <laughs> no, I, I don't. I remember. It's a prime number. Yeah. I put my stamp on it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so as we're segueing into the, the new year, we're going to keep uh, we're gonna keep doing the same thing we've been doing for this entire podcast. Um, Joe's still learning how to use a mic. <laughs> she shocked me. <laughs> she shocked him on the nose. And we are still, I know we took a break and I know there was a transition period in a couple of weeks. And uh, if you've listened to the episode before this, you kind of might understand why that might be happening. Lots of like small life changes and, you know, we're kind of finding our feet in different fellowships uh, and learning a lot that God's teaching us. So in that process, we've had to take a few weeks off uh, to put first things first. So we are coming back with uh, the full passionate energy for it. And this new year, we are starting with uh, the Sermon on the Mount. So the Beatitudes, we're looking at um, Matthew. And we started Matthew, I think, in October or September, probably a yeah. while ago. And we, we've we done them in chunks, but then we also had guests coming on, and we also had a couple of small topical ones. So we're, we're going to be rotating throughout the year between a topic, a book, of the Bible and guests, so lucky for everybody that we listen that, that listens to us. Uh, we've recently just met a lot of new Christians, so we may have some you know <laughs> some new uh, some new guests on that we haven't had before, which is exciting for me because I love meeting new people and learning from them. And um, I I don't know about you guys, but from I guess 
the best of each episode of those three makes me feel like that's my favorite. Like if we have a really awesome guest on that, like it teaches us a lot. Mm -hmm. I'm like, man, I love the guest episodes. And then we have like a really awesome conversation on like the topic. And so, um, I don't really have a favorite type of episode. I just really like it when God speaks um, to us through um, each each type. So for episode 112, we're working on the Sermon on the Mount. Joe, do you want to give us a quick overcap? So um, overcap? Sure. Is that a word? It's it a, is now. Overview and then you... And a, re a, re a, recap, a recap and an recap. overview. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's a review. Oh, that's if that's you switched up the other way. <laughs> <laughs> I blew my own mind. For <laughs> I was trying to be funny, and it actually made sense. You gave me the chills. Isn't isn't a review actually? Is it? Yeah, no, it is okay. a real thing. Oh, okay, but if you switch, are we asking overview, if the word review is a real word? No, that's no, no, a real no. word. Review. I was like, I thought he had for a second created a new word, and no. then I said it slower. I, I like, tried to create a new actually... word, and then it made a real word. All right. So for the sermon on the mount, let's kind of do an overcap of yeah. the whole thing. Uh, right, and which is I think important because I mean this is supposed to be read in one sitting. It's not supposed to be read how we're doing it, like a chunk here, a month goes by, another chunk, and another chunk. Um, but Get just chunky. Uh, just eight points that are worth noting um, before we go into the sermon on the just mount. A quick eight. <laughs> just I, quick. Well, I mean, they're quick. Yeah. When you just, yeah. They're quick when you just read them. Not if we, if we were. To, if we were to, if that was like a Baptist preacher, like here's four hours. You know, no, I'm just gonna literally read them. Um, cool. So, okay, so we get in, in Matthew's genealogy, it points to Jesus being the fulfillment of Israel's covenantal promises as the seed of Abraham and the king of the Davidic line. Um, so it shows that Jesus is the son of Abraham and the son of David, right? So then, two, um, Joseph's dreams allow Jesus and his family to escape into Egypt, just like Israel. From this point on, Jesus, as the true Israel, would go through and get tested just as phys physical, biological Israel, Israel would. Jesus escapes the massacre of the innocents by fleeing to Egypt, and it comes back into Israel, just like the physical Israel and true fulfillment of Hosea. So Matthew, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, uh, He stayed there until the death of Herod. This happens so that what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet would be fulfilled. Out of Egypt I called my son. Now when that, we talked about this in Jeff's episode, but when that verse was originally applied, Hosea was talking about physical Israel. But now, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Matthew is applying that verse to Jesus. Um, so then Jesus goes through the waters of baptism, like Israel, uh, in the Red Sea, and God validates that this is Jesus, uh, his beloved son. Um, so in 1 Corinthians 10, 1-2, Paul says, For I do not want you to be unaware brothers and sisters, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and they all passed through the sea, and they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Then Exodus 4.22, then you shall say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my son, my firstborn. Um, next point, Jesus is tempted after the baptism in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, just like physical Israel, and their fail and fall to idols. So how Satan tempts him in this 40 days in the wilderness, I think is... Uh, Pivotal. So Satan questions him uh, whether he is the true son of God, uh, which Israel thought they were. Uh, Satan tempts him to uh, doubt God with hunger, like Israel did in the wilderness. Uh, Satan tempts him with a physical kingdom, and he denies it, unlike physical Israel. So um, I didn't realize until like recently studying this how like how many times God continuously like reminds Israel that when they wanted a king, it was blasphemy. Mm. Um, 
So in a couple of verses here, we have in Samuel, but when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he, so he prayed to the Lord and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you that they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. And then he reiterates that in a couple of verses later, but you have now rejected your God who saves you out of all your disasters and calamities. And you have said, no, appoint a king over us. Um, he says it again in, in, in chapter 12 and Hosea, he reminds, uh, he, he, he pretty much calls him out. He says, where is your king that he may save you? Where are your rulers in all your towns of whom you said, give me a king and princes. So in my anger, I gave you a king. And then we see this in John's gospel. Um, the Jews try to take Jesus and forcefully make him a king. Yeah. And Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. So uh, the physical kingdom was never uh, part of God's design. Uh, and we see that throughout. So the next point, uh, six, John the Baptist gets arrested, and this ends the old covenant prophets and begins the new covenant mission. And then Jesus begins to establish his new tribe of Israel by calling the 12 disciples. Um, and then Yahweh uh, validates his messiahship through miracles throughout Syria. Mm. So... That's the quick recap of what we get all we get all that before chapter five. And that gives you the backdrop of now the Sermon on the Mount. And what we had said in our previous episodes was that like all of this is painting Jesus as the new Moses. Mm. Um, not to replace, but to fulfill. And those are the two different things. Um Well one thing that's I know just have to address if a lot of people have seen the chosen right so mm -hmm. they might have the, how that unfolded in the chosen in the back of their brain while they're reading this from now on like if you weren't hadn't studied yeah. this before that may be like your main brain folder yeah. to mm -hmm. pull out of and it's all a matter of interpretation for how the, the show would portray that scene so the way that the show portrayed it is that he was basically like thinking of jesus was kind of like getting inspiration from god but also from the people around him and as he's he's delivering each of the, like the beatitudes and the sections of sermon on the mount he had like people in mind while he was doing it and um and the, and it was like all the events and episode leading up to it kind of led to the form formula i the only reason why i don't uh, this is just my opinion, just an opinion piece before we get in. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know that I agree with that. Not, I don't even have enough because it's speculation, so I can't disagree right. or agree. But yeah. like, I in my brain, like just doing the overview we just did of how it's part of this like long systemic way of saying that I am the law. This isn't, you know, and and Jesus be, leading them through the new Exodus and establishing mm -hmm. that the, the you know the, as the the true Israelite, and then he then uses like his experiences then to shape it seems a little far-fetched to me when it seems like if he's the, the first true Israelite and he's there to lead them out of the new Exodus and all these things, like it would be something planned long ago, not in the moment. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like just doing the quick recap, I was like, man, maybe that's why it didn't seem right to me. Cause if that was like really intended by God from the foundations of the world for Christ to say these words, it seems strange that he would gather all of these things personally. Oh, it's not an argument to... Yeah, no, I, I, I get fit. what you're saying. Yeah. I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't necessarily agree. And maybe this is what they were... And for no, again, for no real reason, because I guess we'll, never, we'll just never know. It's an opinion, yeah. But yeah, so the Chosen just did that creatively to just to do that. I don't... I wouldn't say that he's pulling from his disciples or people around him like he did in the show. But I will... I would, I would say that he definitely pulled from... Second Temple period cultural discussions that were being happen that were happening around, and then like using that as a 
to speak speaking into that, speaking into what was what was the general culture, the atmosphere and at the time, mm-hmm. and then speaking into that. Um, because it came in the fullness of time, it came, um, you know, the fulfillment of things as a hand. You know, he came at a specific time and spoke into us. So, but I don't think that you know, like, you know, he's looking at, uh, he's looking at Matthew and he's saying, "Blessed are the, the persecuted," and like that, Joseph shows yeah. it and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I, it, I would agree in that sense. Like, it just doesn't fit my reading of scripture yeah. in, as as a whole. Mm-hmm. But again, I and I, and I wonder if they're doing that because the show's. Actually, about the disciples, yeah. Which inadvertently is about Jesus, obviously. But maybe, maybe he's trying to. That's the motivation for incorporating the disciples more into the sermon. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, the best Christmas gift I got from my wife this year was a shirt that says um, uh, "Disciple Maker," but it's like a dad shirt. Like I'm making my kids are disciples. Oh, cool. So it's like supposed to be on the back, it says something like dad. And then the front, it says like, is a disciple maker, which is cool. one yeah. or the other. Um, but anyway, um, for uh, the Sermon on the Mount, and this is just kind of a, a, another quick anecdote with um, my dad only taught from the pulpit once mm-hmm. and it was on this okay. and I found his doc on it and I oh, shared wow. it with you guys. That's the one I really? shared. Oh, just- um, I shared it with you on the, the encounter drive. Um, and he made it, I think he did it on a Sunday and then he did a bunch of Wednesday series uh, from it. But each beatitude was one, was one service, was one oh, wow. um, thing. Okay. Um, so it's, uh, that's, I, I shared it with you. You don't have to look at it too much, but um, for whatever reason, um, he got like obsessed with the beatitudes mm. when he first got saved. Um, because it was flipping, like each one, the more he d- dove in, kind of flipped his idea of what Christianity was one at a time. So he yeah. learned the nature of God from the Beatitudes one <laughs> at a time, which is pretty cool. <laughs> and uh, I, I shared his Google Drive with me before he passed, so I had like all the Bible studies he did. And um, and I then I was, I was like, oh, I think there's one on that, and this is the longest one. Um, so anyway, just kind of cool. Yeah. It's, it's six years. Um... So this week. Wow. So, Phew. Crazy. That seems insane. Yeah. Wow. Dude, time is an illusion. That's right. Um, All right. So I know we can't read the whole thing in totality for the sake of our listeners who have... Yeah. Oh, by the way, you guys all own Bibles, right? <laughs> uh, Hopefully. So, yeah, yeah. Hopefully. <laughs> so I'm just saying, though, that like... Yeah. Um, it, it, it don't. This is on you. <laughs> uh, you should be reading. Yeah, for the sake of time, it's three chapters. It's pretty yeah. extensive. It'll take take a little while. To yeah. Go through. Um, so I know we have a structure here, but can I just read the first ten verses for the, sure. the for the blessed are those? Yeah. And then we can give some of the context. And so I'm going to read just for the first ten verses where the blessed are those. Now Jesus saw the crowds, and he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. And he said. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they inherit the earth. They will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when... Uh, are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me? 
Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So that is, you know, the meat and potatoes of, of this, this section. So I just want to read it all the way out loud. So while this is happening, it's happening on a mountain. Why did it happen on a mountain? Um, right. So I think when you look at the entirety of Matthew, it, it, if you know, the best way to do this is if you have like a, every, pretty much every Bible is a red letter Bible. The Jesus' words are in red letters. Um, if you look at Mark, not that red because Mark's a lot of his actions and then he did like healing and he, did, you know, all these things he did. And then immediately Jesus did this and immediately Jesus did that. Um, Luke, the red scattered all throughout, but Matthew is the only one of the synoptic gospels where you see these chunks of red letter sermons. And, uh, to continue the theme that we already started, it, there's five of them. There's mm. five sermons. And um, what, the first one is the Sermon on the Mount. Second one is his instructions for his disciples. Third one is the parables. The fourth one is how to deal with sin in the church. And the fifth one is the Olivet Discourse and the Judgment on Jerusalem. So m- the five sermons are supposed to echo, if we're following a theme we already had, is th- the first five books of the law. Mm. And you know this is intentional because uh, at the end of every single one, he he coins he, he coins it with uh when Jesus had finished these things and then he continues. Okay. So he says at the end of Matthew seven, eleven, thirteen, nineteen, and twenty-six. At all you get those long chunks of Jesus' sermon and when Jesus had finished these things, so it now marks another section of the book. Um so the the, the Moses parallelism continues. Um did you have some? Oh, um, I gotcha. Yeah, but no. So then, at, why on a mountain? As we would imagine to keep the theme going, is because he's supposed to reflect Moses going up on the mountain and then coming down with the with the the law, the Torah. Mm. And now Jesus is doing the same thing with an oppressed people that now are pilgrim, not pil- pilgrimaging, but like going back. You see the from the beginning of Luke that there's a um. Or Matthew, there's a census going out, and this is like on the heels of that, and uh, just the the oppression from Israel and from Rome to your average everyday Jewish person mm. is evident. So you get the same sentiment of oppressed people now getting receiving a law from uh, well the Savior, but in Moses being like the the picture of a redeemer. Mm. Um, so I think that is the point of. What, him going up on the mountain. Um, Yeah. I mean, I, it's, it's, it's definitely connected to Moses, right? I mean, that's just like clear. Yeah. Um, the, the, that's how the law was delivered. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, indirectly, but I still, it's a pretty clear, like, Mm -hmm. and I would say it's the same kind of connection you can make with, uh, the tower of Babel and Pentecost, right? With like breaking up the language, bringing the language back together. Yeah. There's, Covenantal connections. Yeah, I think it's clear when you're looking at Scripture as, like, parallels and and things completing each other. Because I can say for how many ever years I read the Bible, never once Mm -hmm. made that clear. I was just like, oh, there's a lot of mountains in Israel, so obviously they're on a mountain. But didn't think about how relevant it would be to painting Jesus as as Moses in in that moment. Right. Yeah. So, so having read the Beatitudes out loud at just at the, you know, a minute or two ago, um, there's a, a direct parallel um, between Deuteronomy 28, 1, mm-hmm. 14. Mm-hmm. Um, 
having that kind of in the back of your mind, so blessed are those who blank, 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 blank. Yeah. Um, should we read Deuteronomy 28 to see if we, those just can just kind of hear some of the, the distinct sure. connections back and forth? So mm-hmm. like to frame this Deuteronomy um, 28 though, uh, why would, before we read it, like why would this be connected? Like how is this connected? How do we know that this is similar? Well, from the word choices and all the blessings, mm-hmm. and and this was, this was their law, and it was commanded to, to every seven years they would have to, to repeat this at, at the feast of uh, Sukkot, and um, what what we what we hear often what, what God was doing in physical what God was doing as a symbol in physical Israel He would do as a symbol spiritually in in, in the new covenant. Mm-hmm. So these are like you, you can read it, but I'm, before we get there, it's like these are all very physical, temporary blessings. Like if you do this, you will get this, and the fi- and and then Jesus comes with more permanent, heavenly blessings, and and redefines God's heart. Mm. You know. Yeah. So so it says, if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow His commands, I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on earth. All these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. You will be blessed in the city, and blessed. I don't know if I'm blessed or blessed. Blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed in the crops of your land and the young of your livestock, the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks. There's the temporary stuff you're talking about, right? Yeah, yeah. Your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. The Lord will grant the enemies who rise against you and will be defeated before you. They will come at you from one direction but flee from you in seven. The Lord will send a blessing on your barns and on everything you put your hand to. The Lord will bless you in the land he has given you. The Lord will establish you as his holy people. As he promised you an oath, if you keep his commands of the Lord your God and walk in obedience to him, then all the peoples on earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they will fear you. The Lord will grant you abundant prosperity in the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock and the crops of your ground. In the land he swore to your ancestors to give to you, the Lord will open up the heavens and storehouses of his bounty to send the rain on your land and season and bless all the work of your hands. You will lend to many nations, but borrow from none. The Lord will make you the head, not the tail. If you pay attention to the commands of the Lord your God, I give you this day and carefully follow them. You will always be at the top, never at the bottom. Do not turn aside from any of the commands I give you today, to the left or to the right, following other gods and serving them. Lots of blesseds in there. Right. Or yeah. blessed. Blessed, blessed, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think they're purposely connected um, to show that Jesus is gathering Israel together. And, you know, we're, we're reading from, actually anybody that would be reading Matthew, whether it was the first people or us, like we're, you're reading from, it's, it's past, right? Because mm-hmm. Matthew wrote it, it had to have happened. So, uh, so you're reading it from like, you understand like, okay, this is and was the guy who brought in the new covenant. So now knowing that, you go back and you're like, he's he's gathering Israel to establish the new covenantal law and heart of, of God. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he goes on, so you get the Beatitudes, but then you and then he goes on and and redefines so many things that we see in the Old Testament and like what that actually looks like, and from from. A more heavenly perspective, and and he is really the only one who has the authority to do this. So like the salt and the light, and and he goes on to the uh, murder, adultery, divorce, vows and oaths, the eye for an eye. He goes into all those things, mm. and 
essentially simplifies them and gets to the heart of the matter. I'm kind of thinking, like, maybe this is what you're getting at. Like, Jesus is the only one that is able to do that, being fully God. He's the only one that could redefine what he meant Correct. in that sense yeah. and to start a new covenant. Right. Okay. Yes. Kind of, I mean, they knew a new covenant was coming. Yes. Like Jeremiah prophesied mm-hmm. about Ezekiel. Like, they knew a new covenant was coming. And mm-hmm. with that new covenant, there's a new law. They know that's coming, too. But what does that mean? And what does that look like? And does it nullify the old? And does mm-hmm. it... Like, there's all these questions. Gotcha. And then, and then who's... Who is the one? I mean, Moses predicts that there'll be one. That there's going to be one like me, and it's his voice you should obey. Like, who is going to be this one? And to me, uh, so I, I believe that the scroll—that's the scroll in Revelation—is that the, the covenant, the new covenant, and the new like marriage license, and like who is worthy? Who's the worthy one to open that? Mm. And um, that's Jesus. There's only it's got to be God. There, there can only be one um, to open up that that scroll of the new covenant. Um, and then, yeah, so he, so he starts going through all these things and like, you have heard it said, but I say, and that's like, he's, he's contrasting, but it's not a contrast. Cause he's not, he, they literally like, he preemptively, he knows they're going to accuse them of like abolishing the law. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I didn't come to abolish it. I came to fulfill it. And if he wasn't sinless and if he wasn't perfect, and if he wasn't God, then he couldn't be the one to fulfill it. But in fulfilling it, because it was always supposed to be temporary. So in fulfilling it, you can now bring in the new one. It has to be something, yeah. Just, yeah, exactly. It's the end of something has to be the beginning of a new thing. Um, and that's, that's what I think is happening, at least. Yeah. Um, yeah, I like what you said, that they, they, Jesus is simplifying a lot of these, the, the sentiments in the Old Testament from the new. And that's what I was, when I was doing that, prepping for that sermon a few weeks ago, that's what I learned mm-hmm. um, it's like a lot of that is coded into just generally the language. Like yeah. it's it's the covenantal issue mm-hmm. back and forth. Like and 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 Jesus um, being more direct, and some of the nuances are just more clear. But also, like uh, the Hebrew language was somewhat vague compared mm-hmm. to yeah. Greek, and right. so a lot of the stuff. Sometimes when we're reading it, it may just seem more clear and more simple. But often it was just as clear and as simple back then to people who understood the Hebrew really well. Right. Um, so like yeah, Micah six eight was just as clear as. Jesus clarifying the two greatest commandments, you know, um, but to Correct. us, it yeah. doesn't seem as though that's true. So for, um, for the, the Beatitudes themselves. So, um, we, we're not, okay. So one thing when I was looking through, um, the, the Beatitudes again and going through the study that, you know, that I, I actually talked through this one before with, mm-hmm. um, but the part that's a little confusing is is the way that the, the the phrasing of the beatitudes is. So the like the blessed are those, and then it's like there there are contrasts, and it doesn't seem to make a ton of sense. Um, like blessed are those who mourn, um, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Like the the word blessed, uh, the the way the Greek word is basically just happy, but like pure happiness. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like this this special like everlasting joy. It's like happy are those, those people who are at a peak um, emotion uh, in, a, in a positive way. And then you have the words like mourn. And, and, and so you see like Christ setting up these, um, what is it called? The juxtapositions of, of two different things. So blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. And what that does is it, 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 it creates the heart of, of what like the audience doesn't have at the time. 
Like, like you're talking about the Pharisees, you're talking about people who are um, hearing under the, the mindset of the law. Mm-hmm. And when you're saying blessed are those who mourn, um, you are instilling the idea of um, total depravity, right? Mm-hmm. That everybody starts at the same baseline of sinner mm-hmm. and then and then works their way up. So when they're talking about blessed are those who mourn, it's meaning blessed are those who are fully aware of their sinful nature. Um, blessed are those who are, are completely humble um, before God and are aware of God's character in such a way that makes you feel less the more you know him. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that cuts at the heart of a lot, I assume every, you know, reader of the Bible ever, but also you're saying like the people that he's speaking to at that moment who, yeah. are, who are currently under the mindset of the law, if they're Jews, mm-hmm. you know, which yeah. is different than us. But yeah. well, today when we hear, it's like, yeah, I know I'm a sinner. Um, it, the other day I was, do you guys remember Michael Gungor? Do you remember the name? Mm-mm. Um, he was like a huge worship person in the late '90s, early 2000s. He was Joel Olstein's worship leader for a while. Um, he traveled with Israel in the New Breed, um, and uh, anyway, he, he he was actually at the he was the worship leader at the conference when I accepted Christ when I was 13. So I, okay. I, I've known him for a while. Um, he wrap me in your arms, battle cry, like he's a lot of these big songs, doxology, um, and um, he actually stepped away from the faith. And it was like, not the most devastating thing for me, but I know his soul stepping away from the faith literally led one of my friends from college to step away from the faith too. Cause he started going through all like his process, started following him. And then he got into like this, like mystical stuff too. Okay. So like, it, it stunk. So just recently, I, one of his things popped up um, and I clicked on it and he said, he's like coming back to the faith, but he wants to define what the faith is. So he has all these conditions and he doesn't believe in total depravity. He believes everybody starts at good and then works up from there. Okay. Um, and um, he just posted this like this post uh, on social media and it, he rewrote Amazing Grace and he's starting a new church and he's like the, the pastor and the worship leader of it. And the, the, he got rid of the line that saved a wretch like me and say, and replace it with something else completely. Um, and, when you're reading it and the way he's phrasing it, it doesn't sound very off-putting when you first read it because the way he's he's just really good with his words and everything. And when I'm reading, I'm like, okay, I kind of I'm trying to get it from his perspective. Um, but then when you get to the the first sermon that Christ gives, and it just cuts at the heart of that right away. You know, like no, he saved a wretch like me, mm-hmm. and and I just I had such a hard time getting in the mindset of people who don't believe that we are inherently bent to do wrong. Right. It doesn't make sense to me how people think anything else than that. You are so dishonest with who you are, if mm-hmm. that's the case. Yeah. You know? Um, like, we've talked about before about Peterson saying you're two steps, like, two decisions yeah. away from being a serial killer. Yep. Um, and the idea that, I don't know, that first beatitude has always meant something to me because it just captures the heart of grace and the heart of humility um, that they needed to hear and that we need to hear. And it's, like, one of the most universal truths that you can have as a, as a Christian. So anyway. Um, when, when you read through the rest of them though, look at the juxtaposition that you see and see if it like, if it, if it does kind of cut at the heart of what you see modern Christianity today too, like blessed are those who are poor in spirit, that's not really the number one thing I would see in like the most popular messages on YouTube. Mm -hmm. Blessed are those who mourn so they'll be comforted. So like the fourth, so they, they kind of build on each other. It's like building one at a time. So if you're poor in spirit, you recognize it. And then verse four, blessed are those who mourn, you're mourning over that, right? So that's like, it's the stages of salvation, one at a time. Um, blessed are those who are meek, 
for they will inherit the earth. And it's building one at a time, so the hunger and thirst, what are you gonna do about the fact that you're mourning over the fact that you are broken? Blessed those from merciful. And these are the things that start to flow out of your heart once you recognize your condition, do something about it, you, you show mercy, um, uh, you, you become more pure, you make peace. Um, and, and it's this beautiful kind of like building thesis for each of them, um, which is my favorite type of Bible literature because it's why I, I lean towards Hebrews and it's why you know I, I chose to teach on Micah because um, they kind of build to a specific point. Um, so I, I try to pick up on those patterns. Um, but for the Beatitudes, anyway, that's, that is, if you ever get to read through it, like memorizing these and then setting these in your heart are going to literally give you the heart of Christ because uh, at the, at the end of it, blessed are those who are persecuted for, uh, of righteousness for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Even like the, the qualification after that, um, blessed are those who persecute you for my name's sake. Like we've talked about that before. There's been persecution. And what was the other word we used? Persecution versus just adversity. Yeah. Or for so, my name's yeah. sake. Mm -hmm. Like that, that, that just, that defeats a whole other ideology of people in Christianity that mm -hmm. believe they're persecuted. Like there's so much deep, rich truth in here mm -hmm. that can really put modern day Christianity into proper perspective. Um, well, yeah, I would really call out modern day Christianity too. Like, yeah, all these things are like, he's redefining or, or defining, let's just say he's defining now. Um, refining. He's refining, yeah, and and of what what the kingdom of heaven is, and then he goes on, and, and then he, you know, redefines or refines the, the 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 Torah, and then he goes out, and then he does these things, and then he does, and he, then after that, he does parables talking about like the kingdom of heaven is like this, and the kingdom of heaven is like that, and the kingdom, and then he uses all these parables to show them with human words and experiences what heaven is like, and. It, I'm reading a book right now on the parables, and the main thing that is so, the main thing that rabbi, the main reason why rabbis use them is because it, it no matter if you couldn't read, or no matter if you were a 20-something year scholar in the Bible, it was explainable to all walks of life, and it, 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 it let them land right in the middle. Like, you can understand these because everyone experiences life, and, you know, there's, a, we talked about the difference between, like, a law-based teaching halakha or or parable-based teaching like Haggadah and that's what Jesus mm -hmm. lived in that because he's trying to get all walks of humanity and one gets to the heart of God um, mm -hmm. and then the other one helps you follow that heart um, so the parable is like it's interesting refining like and, and telling him like what the kingdom of heaven is, is like and yeah. no I'm thinking especially in Matthew because Matthew's painting Jesus as the king and then obviously using the parables that Jesus related kingdom messaging and focusing on the part you said, like he lived it out. The fact that um, what's, uh, there's like a leadership principle that people will do what they see their leaders doing. Mm -hmm. And when you see like the king of everything, the king who is in charge yeah. is actually living out what he is saying right. and it becomes more powerful and it, I don't want to say it becomes easier to follow because it's very hard, yeah. but it becomes, I guess you could say, a, a, obtainable. It, there's a model. Show. There's a model shown for you. Yeah. There's mm -hmm. Follow me is like follow yeah, there's, yeah, yeah, there's yeah. that we talked about a couple weeks ago. Like There's a path for you to follow mm. that's at least laid out. Yeah. When otherwise, it's a very confusing path. Yeah. To know right away.
But he only goes down. He talks about true and false prophets, true and false disciples. Um, I think he makes a lot of. Uh, we'll get. We'll, we'll st- are we still in the Beatitudes? We'll yeah, we can keep going. We'll oh, move on. Okay. So read them if you don't know. Them. Done. Yeah. No. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, and he, he jumps over to uh, right after that. He talks about the salt and the light. And uh, I think a lot of times this can get overlooked. Um, but I think a lot of the salt and light uh, is is uh, temple imagery. And salt, salt more for the temple, and light being more for Israel's true calling. There's supposed to be a light to the to the nations. Um, so, uh, for example, the salt uh, uh, in Jewish worship at the temple, uh, every offering had to be sprinkled with salt. So it's in Leviticus, it's in Ezekiel, right? Uh, season all your grain offerings with salt. Do not leave the salt of the covenant of your God out of your grain offerings. Add salt to all your offerings. And Ezekiel, he says, uh, you are to offer them before the Lord, and the priests are to sprinkle salt on them and sacrifice them as a burnt offering to the Lord. Now, if we remember what Paul redefines as the sacrifice, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Mm-hmm. It goes hand in hand with what Jesus is saying. It's like, you are the salt. Now they would if they're thinking of salt, they're thinking of like the sac- temple sacrifice. And it's like you are your body is the you are the sacrifice, and like mm. this is like he's like preemptively telling them like they don't they don't understand this yet. I would imagine because I mean the Holy Spirit hasn't come upon them and everything, but that they are going to be this temple of living stones. Um, Shout out to and, Pastor Zach. Yeah, <laughs> I was thinking like specifically, you're saying it was the grain offerings because those were usually like well, an extension of. Are you saying both? Because if it is both, then this goes against what I'm about to say. Because most of the grain offerings were like an extension, like an additional like sacrifice of worship, of like giving to God. So it's the idea of like we are that extra. Uh, it's not really working in my brain. I thought about it. It made sense. Yeah, I don't know if it was just for the... In, Levit- in Leviticus, it was just for the grain. Uh, I don't know what it is in Ezekiel. You were to offer them before the Lord and, and the priest are to sprinkle salt on them and sacrifice them as a burnt offering to the Lord. I don't know. Um... But that theme trickles out throughout the New Testament, uh, through like Rome, uh, you know, our bodies are a living sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Um, do you not know that your bottles are temples of the Holy Spirit? Um, Pete, for uh, First Peter, you uh, also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house. Uh, so, and then he goes on right after that to the light. Um, you are a light of the world. A town built on a hill or a city built on a hill cannot be hidden. So in Jewish tradition, Jerusalem was the light of the world mm-hmm. from Isaiah and from Micah. Um, Jesus now applying that title to anyone who follows his, his teaching, like you are the light of the world. Um, Isaiah 42 would say, I, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light to the nations. Um, which I thought was interesting when I uh, learned that. Um, makes sense. Yeah. And it can be and or, right, for that, like... Yeah. There were probably, I mean, who is the exact target? Is it just Jews surrounding him? Yeah. Like no Gentiles at all? At this point, yeah. Okay. So the you is just the Jews. That makes sense yeah. if it would be, I mean, if it was like a mixed crowd. And it's a plural you too, by the way. It's a y'all. Yeah. Y'all yeah, the, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wouldn't be to one person. I mean, right, right, right. Terrible right. Audience. No, well, people read like that. Like, you know what oh, I mean? Oh, like, okay. like, you mean like the person reading? Yeah, yeah. The person reading would think that it's about them specifically? I feel like people do that all the time. Oh, okay, yeah, okay, like, okay. Um, gotcha. Yeah, uh, salt and light. I mean, that's if there's one by, like Sunday school lesson my daughter remembers, it's just salt and light. Like that's like yeah. a child, like this little light of mine. I'm gonna let her mm-hmm. shine. It's like that the most elemental, elementary, um, you know, Bible study kids learn. It's because they understand what salt is and what light is. 
Except she thinks, she says that salt tastes spicy. So whenever it thinks really salty, she goes, it tastes spicy. So when we took her in the ocean for the first time, she said the water was spicy. So yeah. anyway, side note no one cares about. So let's move on to um, the next. Uh, so we have, he addresses the fulfillment of the law, murder, adultery, divorce, vow and oaths, eye for eye, um, which, wow, he covers so much in this. Such a, a yeah. deep session. Um, yeah, I mean, we could be, I, yeah, I don't also don't want to do this. Like, you got to study for yourself, you know? Oh, of course, like, yeah. yeah. So I was just going to touch on a couple of things. Yeah, go ahead. But, no, I, you can keep going. Although, yeah. although the fulfillment of the law thing, there, it, that could get a little, uh, we don't have to go there, but there is something in there. It's interesting where he says, uh, do not think that I have to come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Mm. That's a debated verse mm -hmm. um, because Torah is not still binding on us. You know, so, uh, but what does that mean? So, you know, none of that would disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Um, but anyway, he goes on, yeah, he goes on, to, uh, and he starts to redefine these things. Like, you, you've heard that it was said about murder, and then now, now I, you know, I say anybody who's angry with a brother. And like, like you said earlier, he's like, he's calling out that depravity of like, this is now anybody can relate to this. Like, mm -hmm. it, it removes pride from anything because like, I mean, I'm sure how many of the crowd were not actual murderers, but everybody has been angry with a brother or mm -hmm. sister. And like, you know, um, so like you said, he's getting to the total depravity of human beings. Yeah. yeah. I don't know about Tulip, but he's definitely a... T <laughs> definitely yeah. got total depravity down. Yeah, yeah, definitely too. Um, yeah, one thing about the the eye for an eye that's just... So for verse 30, it says, you've mm -hmm. heard it said that for an eye not... Um, I don't know if I'm going out of order. For no, go ahead, no, no, sorry. Yeah. Uh, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you in the right cheek, turn the other cheek also. So there's a lot, lot in there for that. But the, the original eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth in, in um, the, the Old Testament law, like the context surrounding that was that was full of grace at the time that it was written, yeah. the culture it was yeah. written in. So like the, the Code of Hammurabi actually had that in there as well, uh, which is a, a law that predated um, Levitical law, but that was not, Obviously, he you know Hebrew law, um, and that was the first the first written law recorded written down that had that in it, and it was because they were basically uh, had like a, like Batman theology, like a, um, yeah, vengeance. yeah, like vengeance. Yeah. Um, so if somebody you know trips you know, walk in the, the hallway with a brand new pair of sneakers, somebody steps on them by accident, you murder them. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, it's like unparalleled. What is it on the exponential? Like, yeah, exponential reaction. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, so an eye for an eye to that culture was stepping it up um, and, yeah. and uh, in terms of grace. And now we're talking about grace here. Um, the standard is much more than that. And and um, that's what he's saying. You know, uh, if somebody slaps you in the right cheek, turns them in the other cheek also. So it's it's pushing. It's like not just even, it's more. Um, and you want to choose to do that, which is interesting. It's like um, if that specific law was contextualized in the Old Testament. Um, this clarification of that implies that this was probably always, or it was, it was always the mentality that the Hebrews should have had, which is like, just grace. That's what you should be having towards people. If somebody's mm -hmm. doing something wrong to you, and then it gives all these other, you know, someone owes you money, it's a, a, a Christian, like, don't charge them interest. Like, all, all the, the rest of the law follows in that line of, um, you are not the sole enactment of justice. Right. Um, it's interesting. 
Yeah, and the eye for an eye, I think we covered the eye for an eye thing mm-hmm. before. So we Should we say it again or no? Yeah. But just quickly, I mean, he's talking about a specific thing here when he's talking about being, when your image is being like demeaned. Is that a word? We're really bad with words tonight. We took a someone month is, off, and, yeah, I know. and someone, we know words speak. Someone is compromising your... Defacing? Defaming? Defaming. Defaming, yeah. And um, I mean, specifically talking about that, so when he says, uh, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, he's talking about, like, when people... I mean, we're talking about a, a, a culture where there's social classes, and... If someone slaps you on your right cheek, that's a backhand, backhand. and it was mm-hmm. a it was a way to demean somebody. So uh, a guy would do it to a woman, a parent would do it to a child, a Roman would do it to a Jew, which is kind of probably what he's talking about here. A Pharisee could do it to a regular person. So he's talking about these type of things where he's so, so he's saying, turn to them your other cheek, basically calling them out uh, and not letting them defame you but holding on to you as the image bearer of God. So I have a quote here. A guy says, a backhand slap was the usual way of admonishing inferiors, um, masters, backhanded slaves. Uh, we have here a set of unequal relations in each uh, in each of which retaliation would be suicidal. But the offer of the left cheek is not merely a matter of submitting to an unequal balance of power. Offering the left cheek shifts the balance of power. Mm. This action robs the oppressor of the power to humiliate. The person who turns the other cheek is saying, in effect, try again. Your first blow failed to achieve its intended effect. I deny you the power to humiliate me. You cannot demean me. Um, so he's not necessarily advocating for non-resistance, uh, but more so shifting the blame from the victim to the perpetrator, mm. um, which is interesting. Is which interesting. is why right after that he says, if a Roman commands you to walk one mile, walk with them too. It's the same concept. Like you're not going to let them uh, demean your being, like, and and who you are as a child of God. Yeah. Um, Which is cool. different than most teachings on that. Right. It's like it could be just blind pacifism. Like Chris Rock should have been like, now this side. Yeah, you know yeah, I mean? yeah, yeah. It's like, no, it's not exactly what it implies. Mm-hmm. So then. Um, what's in, I mean, there's so much in here that literally like every single one of these could be sermons, like talking about yeah. prayer and fasting and, you know, worrying, um, true and false prophets to the sermon. I mean, there's just so much to go through. Yeah, I know. That's why I can only, if there's only like so I'm, many you could pick from. And- yeah, I'm like stressing out now looking at them. Um, it's hard to even choose an anecdote. Um, I might, the last thing that I wrote out was for the, uh, his, his, his last comment, which is faith in the true rock, which I would be interested in your interpretations of it. So if we go to it, which is verse, uh, oh, that's like, that goes to, that goes to, uh, six or seven. Where's that at? Seven. Chapter seven. Seven twenty-four. Yeah. Yeah. The wise the words builders. Good. Is that the verse you're talking about? Yeah, therefore everyone. Therefore everyone who hears the words of mine and puts them in practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house. Rain came, stream. Yet it did not fall because it had a foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine does not put them into practice. It's like a foolish man who builds his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. 
Thoughts? It sounds right. <laughs> I buy it right now. I agree. Well, what are your what's the what's the? So I was reading this article by um, Paul T. Pen, Pen, Penley, the guy who mm-hmm. wrote the book. Yeah. Um, Words speak. We got it tonight. Yeah. What, what's Paul the, T. Penley? Uh, yeah. What's the book he wrote? Um, Words of Rabbi Jesus. The, the, that's the Rabbi Jesus. Nope. Nope. Not that one. Nope. Um, it's over there. <laughs> I know. Um, Reenacting the way. Reenacting the way. Yeah. yeah. Um, how can you know? Yeah, how can you follow Jesus if you don't know what he's doing? Yeah. Um, so he his interpretation of this is um, the house built on Iraq would make Jewish audience think about the temple on Mount Zion. Israel believed the temple could not fall. God would not let his house crumble. But Jesus is undermining their beliefs in the same way Ezekiel had to challenge fake prophets who denied Jerusalem's coming destruction. So I went to that in Ezekiel 8, and it's interesting. It says, uh, This is Ezekiel. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. In my wrath, I will unleash a violent wind, and in my anger, hailstones and torrents of rain will will fall with destructive fury. I will tear down the wall you have covered with whitewash and will level it to the ground so that its foundation will be laid bare. When it falls, you will be destroyed in it, and you will know that I am the Lord. So I will pour out my wrath against the wall and against those who covered it with whitewash. I will say to you, the wall is gone, and so are those who whitewashed it. Those prophets of Israel who prophesied to Jerusalem and saw visions of peace for her when there was no peace, declares the sovereign Lord. So, um, I mean, I might have my vision colored or be biased right now because we just watched the scene from the, the season, fa- oh, four, the season the, four of the fa- uh, yeah. Uh, the chosen talking about the Pharisees being whitewashed, whitewashed tombs. tombs yeah. Well, that's, that's what it's calling like back to. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, but this is his quote. Uh, the house on the rock does not fall when the storm comes, uh, is not Jerusalem's temple, but rather those who hear and the, and do the words of Jesus. As Jesus states plainly, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. The one who chal- uh, changes his allegiance from the temple and the current interpreters of Torah to become one who follows Jesus will remain. His words are the new Torah that will outlast the impending destruction of Jerusalem temple and its Torah-mandated sacrifices. That's an unbelievably offensive claim to Jews in Jerusalem. No wonder the religious leaders there had him killed. Um... But the rock words kept, you know, kept bringing to mind different verses like First Corinthians, uh, and all who drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock to follow them, and that rock was Christ. And then it just got me thinking. I just my brain just started going. And I was like, I wonder if that was so. We always think of it as like not that big of a deal that Moses doesn't get led into the promised land for striking the rock. Mm. But if the rock, according to Paul, was Christ, hmm. then he's striking Christ. That hit me when I was studying this, and I was like, yeah. prophetically, I mean, if you're going, if you go backwards, if that rock was Christ, according to Paul, and you go backwards, like, why was that such a big deal? Well, he was. He was allowed to strike it once before, but then he's told to speak to the rock, and he strikes it again. Right. And so either way, he's denying, well, yeah, disobedience towards God. God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But in that specific way, like, this is the way, the truth, and the life, literally. Yeah. Like, I told you this, so it's going to provide life. Yeah, I maybe mean, could yeah. not be there, but I was like, I wonder if that's why, you know what I mean? And and the and then the one of the most quoted verses in the New Testament about Jesus. John 3, 16, no. Jesus what? John three sixteen, I was gonna say. Oh. No, I mean like the one old verse old testament verse quoted in the New Testament verse mm-hmm. about Jesus being uh the rock of offense and the stum- stumbling block. So um yeah, I don't know. Uh yeah, I don't I don't I mean I don't doubt I don't see any problem with that interpretation of it. Yeah. That if he's putting, if this whole thing is reframing the law, then it would make sense. Yeah. That the, if the temple is connected to the law, 
Yeah, I mean, they're, they're inseparable. And, and the salt and the light, starting it with the salt and the light after the Beatitudes, salt and the light, and then it ends here with the faith in the true rock. Um, I wonder what the percentage is of, like, and I wonder this for every thing that a Jewish audience heard that was is recorded in the Bible, like, what percentage was, like, connected to the current day and what percentage was not if that makes sense like what like what what a, what how, what a percentage of its universal and what percentage of it is directly connected to that particular time period um do you know what i mean kind of so like in this like it, so if you didn't know any of that context and let's say that yeah, yeah, let's yeah. say that is a 100 percent true like we know yeah we just met jesus he said yep yeah. that's right um, and then we were to like, look at this now. It's like, okay, I read this a hundred times and I got 70% of the meaning here. Do you know what I mean? Cause like I have biblical, like if I didn't have that background, I would still have biblical truth. Yeah. But without that, is it 30% that adds to the, like the understanding of, do you know what I mean? How much of it is weighted towards knowing that, cult, that like, culture? Yeah. Like how much can you get to the, the full true whole meaning of the Bible without cultural historical background oh without that background without how much can that. you get oh i would say 10 percent. you think it's that low yeah i mean uh i'm reading a book where, did i say this i think i'm gonna just did i just say this or my brain i did paul t penley no 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 <laughs> i'm reading a book on on the parables right yeah, now that part it, yeah you said oh, i did say that yeah it's, so it's called it's called the parables jewish tradition and christian christian interpretation um and it just talks about like uh the culture of par- parables like how Big the culture of parables were back then, and some of Jesus' parables were actually uh, were also Greek fables that he reinterpreted, which was common into Jewish culture, hmm. to uh, to make it because what happened was a Greek fable would just be they would you know they would like uh they would uh what's that called when you give animals like anthropomorphize or whatever? yeah yeah they would do that for uh, personify yeah personify they would do that for for uh that's when you give human to yeah got it. Right, and they would do that for animals, and then they would, uh, you know, all of their fables would be, especially to a Jew, theologically wrong, and wouldn't even be theologically based, but just have a, some sort of moral. And then, you know, specifically in the simple Second Temple period, they would take, they would use that, but now apply it to what they know to be true about the one God of Israel. And just to make a parable, like, um, the point of a parable is just take an everyday life thing and put heaven's perspective on it so everyone could relate to it. Um but it's actually a really good book, and uh, it's it's, but it's talking about and you know so he he went through two parables that I'm forgetting right now, um, from from Jesus that uh, that I never knew were actually uh, from common Greek fables back then, mm. um, which isn't anything crazy or concerning. It's just he's literally just taking a thing and trying to relate to human you know human beings like just like you've heard it said or you know when Paul takes like the Greek poets of the time. He's like, even your own poets say this, 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 but he's applying it to right theology. Okay. And, but back to your point, it's like, no, I think a lot of like, I don't think anybody, any of the first hearers would think, I don't think any first hearer would think thinks things are way off in the future. I think if if you're being told if you're sitting in a group of 50 people and someone's speaking to you something, mm. you're going to think that's immediately about to the people. Like, why would you not? Yeah. Like, you, you would just you would immediately think that that's to you and the surrounding people. Mm. Um, now, whether there's some of those people died or not, whatever. But I think that's how any group of yeah, it's how you listen to a sermon today, right? Yeah, exactly. Like if your pastor gets up and he says, "Y'all, y'all got to do this," and y'all, gotta, you're like, "Oh yeah, this 
this body here has to do yeah. this and like well, that's just how people hear. I don't doubt that. I just I, I know that like these God recorded all these scriptures so that we can know him. Yeah. Right? And so like what I, I guess my question would be like how much can we fully know without certain the, of those slide projector slides? You know what I mean? Right. Um, so I, I know that there's I, I, the answer is not a lot, but I'm saying that I'm just I wonder what the exact percentages that God has in His brain. You know because. Uh, of like, you know, you got, you know, 40% or 60% of what you could have with the information you had, you know, nice try. Yeah. And um, that's to the, the lifelong pursuit judged. of Christ. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. um, right, exactly. It's a lifelong, it's a lifelong thing. And, and I think the more and more, you know, the more and more we study, the more and more archaeology comes up, the more and more Israel gets dug up and stuff, like the more and more we learn and the more accurate, accurate and closer we get. Mm. Yeah, I feel like it's uh, not a bell curve. What's the other way? We're great. Like, with... We're doing really great. It's like a U-shape of knowledge, basically. The people closest to the event and closest to yeah. when it happened would know the most, and then you slowly lose that information, and, and, then, it comes, and then, then it comes back up. Then Wikipedia. Yeah. <laughs> and then it went back up. Then if, yeah, as yeah, information as, comes as available. Information, yeah, and like you said, archaeology, and as people study it more, it becomes more apparent, I, w- I would think. Mm-hmm. So it's like a little... Well, you have information. By the way, did you guys get to see that Gutenberg Press copy before we left? Uh, at Halawasa? No, I didn't. You showed me a picture of it. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. I was blown away by that. I, for some reason, was just thinking like a, uh, a hunk of steel that's about like nipple high, you know, and, and it goes down like it's like the size of a copier. Mm-hmm. It was so freaking huge. Like it that's was crazy. made out of yeah. logs. And, like, it was maybe t- 10 feet high and had to be lowered in with a crane in order to get down there because it couldn't fit through a door. Like, in, mm. um, I don't know. It just gave me an appreciation for it was still not like you press print and this <laughs> and, like, it was still a labor of love to get the mm-hmm. to get the, the copies out, um, which I know everybody else knows. But until you see it, it's, like, mm-hmm. hard to appreciate. Yeah. Got to see it. Yeah. You, over. We never. You're like, oh, it's right there. But then we actually never went back there. But you showed me a picture. Yeah, it looks sick though. We should, I would never post that, like that as the album cover for this week <laughs> on Spotify. So everyone else can see. It. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, so I think we covered it in exhaustion. Yeah. Um, no need to read the whole thing. Every, no, yeah. you're good. Yeah, I mean, we skipped. <laughs> we skipped yeah. the whole lot, but because we would have been here. Yeah, and forever. I mean, again, I, I this is not a cop out. Uh, when we say like read it for yourself, it's like <laughs> we are supposed to be like a, a, a small accent of your study of the scripture. If you mm-hmm. listen to us, yeah. like we are in no way supposed to replace the meeting gathering of the saints in person, you know, learning from um, a pastor in person, you know, sitting under teaching, gathering. And this is like on your way to work. Maybe you can get a little boost of you know, sitting a scripture, yeah. a little nug. Um, so with that being said, when we say read it, it's like, heck yeah, I mean, that's I. It's, we shouldn't have to say that. Sorry, yeah. I, I shouldn't have to say anything because I can't get any words out there. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I shouldn't have to. We shouldn't have to say, you know, read it for yourself because we we anticipate that if you're if you're listening to a nuanced podcast on on the scripture that yeah. you already have an active devotional life, and if you don't get it, and then stop listening to us until you do. Mm-hmm. Um, the the Sermon on the Mount is pivotal. It's pivotal in my upbringing and just pivotal to obviously the scriptures and the Bible, and and, and this is. Just the words of Christ clarifying the law, it is so rich um, that you're doing yourself a disservice if you haven't read it uh, recently. So um, it was a blessing, you know, just prepping for this, just reading through it again mm-hmm. and uh, being reminded of all that's packed into this. You know, it's almost, it's so much, I almost in my brain think it's sporadic over the whole book of Matthew. 
when most the of the verses thing. that I'm yeah. reading here, I mm-hmm. thought were like at some point in Matthew when they're literally all in like two chapters. Well, that's because yeah. they are. That's how they are in Luke, spread out. Right. Yeah. So, so people don't people don't know. Like, was this just was all of this said in one sermon? You know, was it set throughout and then Matthew kind of like compiled it into a sermon for the literary structure of five books of the law? Um, I mean, he definitely went up on a mountainside to both record that, but. But you know, like, you know, how was, how was it? Yeah. What was said on the mountain? What wasn't said on the mountain? Which is like oh. all the major and minor prophets. Like yeah. I'm sure. Uh, Micah said more than six chapters for the things over a thirty-year ministry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You know? But yeah, John tells us that. Yeah. Yeah. If we've recorded everything, we couldn't. Yeah. I mean, Isaiah probably got close <laughs> to his actual. Yeah. He's got a long book. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, I think that's that's great. So, read, the, read the last quote at the end. Last quote at the end. All the Got way there. Got it. You've been encountered. I was kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> that would be funny. One. Jesus is the teacher of a new Torah. His words fulfill the books of Moses. What if you made me read like, <laughs> I believe in the Quran? <laughs> <laughs> his sacrifice undermines the temple. His people become the place of his presence rather than Jerusalem. They are the light of the world, bringing a priestly message of atonement for all. The way Matthew's gospel organizes Jesus' life for a Jewish audience makes all these moves clear. And I think that's the, kind of the point I was getting at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is to a Jewish audience. So, so not just not just what he's saying and not just what Jesus is doing, but like How? even the structure of Matthew's is is supposed to be caught by a Jewish audience. Mm. Just the way he even structures it um, to then make that even more even the more clear. Do you think my voice sounds like the voice from the Home Depot commercials? I don't even know. Home Depot there's, there's had commercials. I haven't seen a Home Depot commercial. Who who said that? I know what I'm going to do. The teachers right that this, the though. teachers I work with. When I was reading that, I just was like trying to make like if I were to hope it's Home Depot cadence. You, were, you know, trying to. You have you a good cadence when hard. you don't mess up. You have a good cadence. Thanks, dude. As a no, really. Remember when? No, it's not. No. Remember when I said when you're not stupid. No, remember what I said before. I was like, if you read, if you like read through the Bible, I'd listen to it. Yeah, no, I'm not even saying that. I'm just I didn't know if you guys didn't know what that voice is. No, I, I didn't. Curious. I've never seen a Home Depot commercial. Uh, okay, cool. Good talk. All right, guys, you've been encountered. All right. Thank you so much for tuning into the Encounter Podcast and being part of the Encounter community. We treat this podcast as a ministry. We pray for it. We pray for our listeners, and we pray that the guests and the information and the gospel that we share on this channel and this media platform are always and only glorifying to Christ and Christ alone. And while we do that, guys, our podcast sometimes spans one to three hours. So if you hear anything that you disagree with while we are speaking, which is highly likely, be Berean Christians, you have a few options. The first one would be to take a deep breath. It's going to be okay. The second one would be to know that your and our authority should be and always be the scripture. So before you take anything at our word, please open the pages of your Bible, read them and find out what absolute truth looks like. Find it and then the next step would be to reach out to us and 
we would love to learn from our listeners um, as you are listening through a one-way communication to about our podcast. So please reach out to us with questions, concerns. We want to be held accountable. We want to have conversations. We want to see actual growth. But first, take a deep breath. Second, open your Bible. And three, give us a shout out. Have a blessed week.